This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Today's show featuring Matt Blaze. So turn up the volume, kids. Absolutely. It's going to be one for the ages. You know, we hear a lot of talk about bipartisanship, and I talk a lot about bipartisanship. I I am uh, uh, totally against the toxic nature of uh, professional wrestling politics that has enveloped Washington and Albany, where you have the people on one side that can't even seem to agree with the people on the other side of the aisle about what day of the week it is. But if there's one thing that, you know, I I take issue with when it comes to bipartisanship, it's that if there's one thing that's worse than bipartisanship, it's bipartisanship. Well, if there's one thing that's worse than partisanship, it's bipartisanship. What do I mean by that? So often, so much of the time, the stuff that the Republicans and Democrats that are in charge of Washington seem to agree upon is stuff that I don't like. Stuff like the war in Iraq. Stuff like uh, warrantless wireless wired uh, tapping. Stuff like uh, deficit spending. The big party, stuff like corporate welfare, the people, the stuff like the Ukrainian war, foreign policy, don't even get me started. The things that Democrats and Republicans get together on and that is overwhelmingly approved, it generally tends to be stuff that I don't like. That's why I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. But every once in a while, the crazies in both parties, the people on the far left and the far right, they get together and they are, in my view, right on the money. And it's very rarely the moderates. It's the people on the far left and the far right that get together to do things like oppose warrantless wiretapping, like oppose bailouts of the big banks with no questions asked, that get together and say, well, maybe we do need to audit the Federal Reserve or something along those lines. About And nine years ago, Ralph Nader wrote a whole book about this. It's one of the best books I've ever read. It's somewhat dated now, but it's still largely on the money. It's called Unstoppable, the Emerging Left-Right Alliance to Dismantle the Corporate State. And it's, it goes through issue after issue where the left and the far right can get together 
on all sorts of things, from issues like uh, direct democracy, things like term limits, to uh, issues like, um, you know, uh, subsidizing the big banks at no questions asked, all sorts of issues. It's really an interesting book that I recommend. Trade, trade was a big one. But so every once in a while, I see glimmers from the left-wingers that everybody hates and the right-wingers that everybody hates of reasons to be optimistic. And that was the case yesterday because I, a group of lawmakers, including the people on the left that everybody hates, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and the people on the right that everybody hates, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, have called on President Biden to drop the extradition and prosecution of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. I must say, I am in full-throated, enthusiastic agreement. Julian Assange, who never stepped foot in this country, should not be being prosecuted. He should be getting awards from every journalistic entity in this country and around the world. Julian Assange is not a criminal. Julian Assange is a truth teller who has helped get the truth out about all sorts of things that I think have been very, very positive. And one of my great criticisms of President Trump is he never pardoned Julian Assange and didn't um, and, and didn't pull the plug on the prosecution of Assange when, when he was president. And this is part of what the letter which came um, out, which came across my desk yesterday. This is part of what the letter says. As members of Congress deeply committed to the principles of free speech and freedom of the press, we write to strongly encourage your administration to withdraw the U.S. extradition request currently pending against Australian publisher Julian Assange and halt all prosecutorial proceedings against him as soon as possible. The group of lawmakers includes Jim McGovern, Democrat of Massachusetts, Tom Massey, Republican of Kentucky, Rashida Tlaib, Democrat of Michigan, Eric Burleson, Republican of Missouri, uh, Ilhan Omar, Democrat of Minnesota, Paul Gosar, Republican of Arizona, Ayanna Presley, Democrat of Massachusetts, uh, Matt Rosendale, Republican of, Man- of uh, Montana, Jamal Bowman, Democrat of uh, New York, Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky, Cory Bush, Democrat of Missouri. What do most of those people have in common? These are the people that the other party points to as the problem. These are the people that are so often considered extremists. These are the people that are pointed to, in some cases, even by the moderates in their own party, as what's wrong with the system. But I view this as a wonderful thing because the unity of the far left and far right lawmakers in this letter is so notable. This group has traded all sorts of barbs with each other during their time in Congress. In the same week as the letter regarding Assange, Green, Marjorie Taylor Green, was a leader in the effort to censure Rashida Tlaib for her recent anti-Israel statements. So think about that. These people that signed this letter are so enthusiastic and in, in accordance with what they're saying that Marjorie Taylor Greene signed on with someone that she's trying to censure publicly. So if you're not up on the whole Assange case, 
The WikiLeaks founder was arrested in 2019 in the UK on a U.S. warrant and has been fighting in British court to try and avoid being extradited to the U.S. to face charges. The Wednesday letter follows another letter by other members of Congress urging Merrick Garland, the attorney general, to drop the charges against Assange. I found myself in enthusiastic support of that letter as well. It read, in part, press freedom, civil liberty, and human rights groups have been emphatic that the charges against Assange pose a grave and unprecedented threat to everyday constitutionally protected journalistic activity and that a conviction would represent a landmark setback for the First Amendment. I have to tell you, I don't know whether I'm far left or far right or far whatever, but I think uh, these guys are exactly right. This Assange prosecution is no good. It needs to end. And honestly, I think this sort of coalition of populists on the far left and on the far right, the people that might consider themselves Bernie Sanders supporters, the people that might consider themselves Donald Trump supporters, this is the great hope for this country. And uh, it's one of the things that I see kind of coming together a little bit when it comes to Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential campaign. It's sort of a left-right-center populist coalition, which is very much my speed. All right. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Do you agree with Paul Gosar and Rand Paul and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that they should not be prosecuting Julian Assange? Or do you think this person should be prosecuted? 800-848-9222. We have our regular phone number working again. Thank goodness for that. And we'll also uh, go through your email correspondence a bit later. You can email me at frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. That's frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. I um I had uh, tried to get some of my interview with Gabriel Shipton, who's Julian Assange's brother, who's been a guest on the show several times, but we weren't able to get it in time for the show. Here's a little bit of uh, Gabriel Shipton talking on Rising Hill about uh, Julian Assange and the charges that he's facing. Not quite as exhaustive and comprehensive and challenging as the interview that he had here on this program. But it was interesting nonetheless. Is there is there hope? Is there something positive underfoot um, based on this meeting of Australian officials that could um, augur well for Julian's fate? Yeah, I really think that this uh, delegation will have an impact here. You know, uh, what the message that they're bringing is that, you know, nine out of ten Australians uh, believe that the charges against Julian uh, should be dropped. And that's recent polling. Uh, Australia is a uh, key ally uh, of the U.S. It's a resource-rich country. Uh, it's it's located in the Pacific, and I don't think the alliance between the U.S. and Australia can be taken for granted. And and these politicians are here to communicate that um, to people in D.C., to Congress people, uh, meetings with the State Department and DOJ. So I, I think it's a different sort of message. Um, it's a foreign relations message and a message from the Australian people that I think can really have a uh, make a difference in the, in the fight to free Julian. So I'm not sure when that is from, but I think it's fairly recently. But I think aside from the polling, 
this sets such an incredibly dangerous precedent for going forward with someone through WikiLeaks that has been part of much more comprehensive, much more significant, and I might add, much more accurate journalism than what we've seen from the Washington Post and the New York Times. So I absolutely agree with these members of Congress. I'm curious if you do as well. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Another interesting thing, eight days from now, it is going to be the 60th anniversary of the John F. Kennedy assassination. And uh, we've covered this assassination a lot over the course of the three years that we've been doing this program, and we're going to cover it a great deal over the course of the next week. I'm working on putting together uh, a debate with folks that have uh, differing views on the subject. Here's what's interesting, though. With the 60th anniversary of the JFK assassination coming up next week, or in in eight days, 65% of Americans still don't believe that the president was killed by a lone gunman. 65%. That's according to a new poll from Gallup, and that's up a bit from 2013, but down about, um, that's down a bit from the high watermark of skepticism, which was from 1976 through 2003. In that time period, between 75 and 81% say they didn't buy the official story that Lee Harvey Oswald acted on his own. Obviously, we have all seen the famous Zapruder film capturing the assassination that was first shown on television back in 1975 when Geraldo Rivera played it on his talk show on, you know, on ABC. Among those who think multiple people were responsible, 20% say the U.S. government was involved. Another 16% more specifically point their finger at the CIA, 11% suggest the mafia, and 6% name the FBI. Here, What was interesting to me, though, only 3% blame Fidel Castro's Cuba. So for those that um, want a deeper dive into the questions around Kennedy's death without going full Oliver Stone... I definitely encourage you to check out the recent New York Magazine profile of Jefferson Morley. Jefferson Morley's been a guest on the show multiple times. He's a former Washington Post journalist who uncovered incredible evidence that the CIA stonewalled investigations into what it knew about Oswald, but has uh, edged into the world of conspiratorial theorizing in the last few years. So I actually have invited Jefferson Morley on this program next week to debate Fred Litwin, who we recently had on as a guest on this subject on the uh, on the Kennedy front. But my the interesting thing to me about this is twofold. One that 65% of Americans don't believe Oswald acted alone, but two, that the number of people that do believe Oswald acted alone seems to be growing. And I'm curious if you're in that category. Let me know. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I have always been sort of open-minded on this. I never really had a strong opinion either way. Until about 20 years ago, then when I started looking into it a bit more, I thought the acoustics made a pretty strong case that uh, there was multiple gunmen involved. 
there were multiple gunmen involved. Who the gunmen were working for, I don't know. I've heard a lot of different theories, and when the people who are explaining them talk about them, it seems to make sense. However, I'm not um, I'm not rigid in believing this, and all the reasons that I thought there might be a conspiracy theory, a conspiracy, I brought up with Fred Litwin when he was on this guest when he was on the show last week, and he rebutted almost all of them pretty effectively. So I uh, I don't know what to believe, quite honestly. So hopefully we'll be able to have that debate one day next week when it comes to fruition. I'm curious where you fall on the issue, though. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up. In about 10 minutes, we are going to talk with Larry Elder, the sage of South Central, not only an incredibly accomplished radio and television talk show host, not only a former candidate for governor, but a recent candidate for president. He was a candidate for the Republican nomination for president. He's and he's dropped out. He's endorsed Donald Trump. He's going to tell us why. We're going to get into that. Additionally, uh, next hour, we have seen a big uptick, unfortunately, in um, anti-Semitism. And we are going to talk with a woman that has studied this and worked towards reducing anti-Semitism over the years. Somebody that we've talked to before, Allison Josephs. She's the founder of a terrific group, terrific website called Jew in the City. We'll talk to her about that. And uh, on a lighter note, we'll talk music with um, Stephen Maglio in our third hour. Noam Layden will be here, and then we're going to go through the mail in the fourth hour. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Paulie in Paramus, what's on your mind? Hey, Frank, how are you? There's a new conspiracy theory out. I don't know if you've seen it. It was a documentary on uh, Kennedy. Shows the guy, the Secret Service, on the back of the car, actually pulls out the rifle and kills Kennedy. Did you see that one? I did not see it, but I am familiar with that theory. And we've talked to people that have embraced that. Did you find that convincing? I did, yeah. Because if you actually watch it, watch the new theory they have, you can see the guy have a gun out. And then you think about the people. How did they smell gunpowder right there? Do you happen to remember the uh, name of that documentary? Oh, no, I, I was on, I believe it was on Roco, I think. All right, well, yeah. my you getting help there, Paulie? Yeah, I was looking it up right now. All right, well, no, I can look it up uh, as well. Uh, that is interesting, and uh, we're going to hopefully have an opportunity to delve into all the many theories as to uh, as to who did this. So needless to say... One day- one day in America, JFK. Right. Yeah, that actually um, it, it isn't new, but it has gotten a lot more attention at, as, as of late because they have been playing it a lot more as uh, as of late. I got to check that out um, because I have seen a great deal of people that uh, that put a lot of stock into that. It's a three part documentary series, actually. And um, it's uh, yeah, actually, maybe it is new. Okay. Oh, so it's not a documentary. Okay, it's a it's a it's a movie based on true events. So it's a kind of a hybrid documentary and um, you know narrative. So I'm going to check this out actually. So it's, it looks like it was on the uh, National Geographic 
channel and elsewhere. 800-848-9222. Al is in Yonkers. Hi, Al. Good morning, Frank. You know, Frank, I always thought that Lee Oswald didn't act alone. I always believed it was uh, organized crime the day that uh, uh, President Kennedy was assassinated and Governor Conley was wounded. I think it was mafia uh, involved uh, because I think that the mob felt that they were betrayed uh, in the 1960 race when uh, the mob right. helped right. That's win always Chicago the theory about the mob. Right. West Virginia. So I think, uh, I think that's why they possibly had it in for uh, President Kennedy. Yeah, I mean, so um, you think Oswald acted alone, but he was working for the mob? Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I must have missed the question. No, I don't think he acted alone. Oh, I think okay. it was a conspiracy. All right. Well, you know, I w- again, we're going to delve into this uh, in the coming eight days and hopefully hopefully find uh, a number of different theories. And including, the, I'd like to have Fred Litwin back to address what people think. Because, he, honestly, I thought he did a very good job refuting a lot of the theories that I have had about this. I'll tell you what has added to the... I think, skepticism that the public has had on this issue, and certainly added to my skepticism. It's the fact that president after president keeps delaying what documents they're releasing. And when they do release these documents, a lot of times it tends to be redacted. But honestly, I got to be very candid. Fred Litwin, I thought, did a fair job addressing a lot of the different inconsistencies, supposed inconsistencies, about this. So I'm going to hopefully having him back soon with maybe Jefferson Morley or someone that's a bit better informed about this than I am. Pete is in New Jersey. Hello, Pete. Yeah, hi, Frank. Uh, you read Gerald Posner's book, Case Closed, right? Yes. But, but beyond that also, the one question I've always had, everybody I always ask, the crime of the century takes place outside your building. And the first thing you do is you run for home. Once you just hang around and see what's going on, he was the only person leaving that building out the door in 90 seconds. That doesn't make sense to me. Meaning uh, Oswald? Yes. Yeah, well, I don't... I always th- always thought, yeah. yeah, I don't think any... I don't think any, anybody saying that Oswald... Well, maybe some people are. But I don't think... I have never believed that Oswald was totally innocent because not only you know did he behave in the manner that you just described but then you have the situation with the shooting of officer tibbet so that's not exactly the behavior of uh, of a guy that's a total patsy thanks pete 800-848-9222 cory is in brooklyn hello cory good morning frank howdy uh ever since i could think clearly i never thought uh, oswald could have possibly done this by himself i thought he had something to do with it, and others involved, mostly mafia. Now, when I watched Oliver Stone's documentary, Through the Looking Glass, which I recommend everybody does, basically turned everything that I thought that I knew upside down on its head. All right, Through the Looking Glass. Yes, Oliver Stone did uh, the JFK assassination uh, probably the best documentary I've ever seen. And then it got me into documentaries. Started watching them again. But this one through everything, I think Oswald, there were many. 
I'm sorry, I lost you there, uh, Corey. I don't know if you hung up or if that was our doing. I think it might have been our doing. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. We're going to talk with Larry Elder in a moment, fresh off the uh, presidential campaign trail. We'll talk about that. And uh, a little bit later, we'll talk about anti-Semitism. We have a wide variety of subjects that are coming your way over the course of the next three and a half hours. We'll talk with the Sage of South Central straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is old there. Older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze. Country roads take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia. Great John Denver singing Country Road. This is a birthday bumper music selection from uh, my friend Rachel Yellen, who's celebrating her birthday today. But it's a very apropos introduction uh, for our next guest, because a lot of folks would consider radio his true home, even though he has been up and down all over the country recently. As a presidential candidate, he's got a new book out, which we're going to tell you about. Uh, I am very pleased to welcome an old friend of mine, conservative radio and TV talk show host, former Republican candidate for president and author of the new book, As Goes California, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation, the sage of South Central, Larry Elder. Larry, it's great to talk with you again. Welcome back to the program. Frank, it is my pleasure, and thank you for not calling me as the L.A. Times did when I ran for the governor in the recall election, the black face of white supremacy. Any day <laughs> when I'm not called that is a good day. <laughs> Larry, uh, so you've dropped out of the presidential race. You've made the decision to endorse President Trump. He, in turn, has uh, endorsed your book. Uh, give me your thoughts on sort of the postmortem of your presidential campaign. Obviously, I'm sure you would have liked a different result. Do you have any regrets about running? No, no, I don't. It was an honor and a privilege to run. My only regret is that I was not treated better by the RNC. Uh, As you know, in the first debate, the RNC required you to have 40,000 individual donors. Check. Uh, I had to submit three polls where I was at 1% or better. Check, check, check. I get a phone call from Ronna McDaniel after the deadline, and she says, Larry, you're not qualified for the first debate. Why? Well, because one of the polls you submitted, Rasmussen, is, quote, affiliated with the Trump campaign, close quote. And the rules clearly stipulate, Larry, that any poll affiliated with any candidate cannot be used by any other candidate. After that happened, Rasmussen puts out a tweet and says, no, we're not affiliated with the Trump campaign. There's no reason why Elder can't use us. 
I then submitted a fourth poll where I was at 1% or better, and I was accused of submitting it after the deadline, which is true because I didn't realize I needed to submit a fourth one. So as far as I'm concerned, I got shafted. Uh, I filed a complaint with the Federal Elections Commission. My mm. lawyer is a former chair of the FEC, and he says that by failing to apply the debate criteria fairly to elder uh, Essentially, what the RNC did was to give an in-kind contribution to the eight people that made the debate stage. That's my only real regret. But I travel up and down the country, as you pointed out, spent all sorts of time in Iowa and in New Hampshire, met all sorts of people. uh, And I really, really felt that I had something to say, something to give back, which is why I ran. The uh, so it sounds like there's a strong case to be made that the process was rigged from the get go. Well, that's how I look at it. I mean, look, um, they tell me what I'm supposed to do. I did it. And then all of a sudden I get a phone call when the deadline is over telling me that one of the polls uh, I can't use because it's affiliated mm. with Trump. When that poll says, no, we're not affiliated with Trump. What am I supposed to do? Right. And, and Rasmussen is not some, not some rinky-dink poll. It's a respected poll. It was the one that was the most accurate in 2016, suggesting that Donald Trump was going to win. And it is often cited on the RNC website uh, and Twitter feed uh, as a reputable poll. Now, all of a sudden, uh, it, it's, not, uh, it's tainted because it's affiliated with Trump when they say they're not affiliated with Trump. You tell me what that's all about. I think what happened, Frank, is that they wanted to reduce a number of, of uh, people on the stage as soon as possible, A and B. Mm. I know that I give the RNC heartburn. I talk about things uh, in a much more blunt fashion than I think they want to hear about. So I think that there was um, uh, some animosity towards the great Eldersky uh, being up there. And remember, when I ran for governor of California, I did not get any support from the state uh, GOP party, nor the federal GOP party, even though I was far and away the front runner on the replacement side. Uh, and I, not only did I not get any money from either one of them, I did not even get any verbal support. Kevin McCarthy uh, told all the dozen or so House members in California to stay out of the race. Don't say anything about it because they wanted a guy named Kevin Faulkner, the two term mayor Mm -hmm. of San Diego, to be the guy. I carried San Diego County on the replacement side by 30 points. And when it was obvious that I was winning, I got 49 percent of the replacement vote. The next highest person got nine percent. I thought at least the RNC state and or federal would, would give me verbal support. They gave me neither. But there were two House members, uh, U.S. House members, a, a woman named Michelle Steele and a guy named Doug Mamalfa, both of whom defied Kevin McCarthy and came out and publicly supported me. Outside of that, I got no love from the RNC. There's not been any love lost between the RNC and Larry Elder. In the last debate, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy called on the RNC chair, uh, Ms. Uh, Romney McDaniel, to resign. Do you do you agree with that? You think she should go? Well, I didn't support her when she ran uh, for re-election. I wanted Harmeet uh, Dillon out here in California. And by the way, Frank, I was there uh, when when Vivek did that, just three or four mm-hmm. rows back, uh, and I I had a <laughs> I, I had a marvelous time watching her squirm. By the way, the other thing that uh, Vivek did, and getting a little off topic, is he called out the media for uh, the Russia collusion thing. He should have called out NBC specifically because they gave a job to the biggest race hustler, anti-Semite in America, uh, aside from Louis Farrakhan, and his name is Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton has a show on an NBC property. This is the guy who made his bones by falsely accusing Tawana Brawley, uh, by, by claiming that a white man raped her. Uh, he's in the middle of the Crown Heights riots of 1991, 
where a bunch of uh, blacks were attacking Jews. That's relevant because uh, Sharpton's had a history of making anti-Semitic remarks, called Jews diamond merchants, white interlopers. Sure, and I know the history. Having, 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 having a show on, on, uh, on MSNBC and NBC property. It is outrageous this man can even show his face in the daytime, let alone have a TV show once a week on, on the NBC property. He's also, by the way, on videotape. You can go to YouTube and look at this, Frank. He's on videotape agreeing to sell and deal cocaine to an undercover FBI agent. That is videotaped, uh, and nobody says a word about it other than me. Or, or at the very least, and um, was also an informant. And it's very interesting well, with the that, amount of, uh, with the amount of uh, criminal justice run-ins that he's had and the amount of tax issues that he's had. He's in a position right. to host a show commenting on the criminal justice system and on taxes. But don't get me started. <laughs> we could do all three hours just on uh, Al, uh, Al Sharpton. And, 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 and by the way, real quickly, before we wrap this up, the reason he became an informant is because of the FBI mm-hmm. surveillance tape, and they used that against him and made him made him, and turned him into a rat. The, tell me about your decision to endorse President Trump. You endorsed him pretty quickly after ending right. your own candidacy. Why, uh, out of everybody that's running, do you think accepting Larry Elder Trump's the best man for the job? Well, bear in mind, I ran as a mega guy. I ran as a guy that uh, complimented Donald Trump on the things he did on the economy, on borders, uh, on uh, on energy, on having a uh, secretary of education who pushed school choice. The reason I ran is because there were some issues that nobody was talking about, including President Trump, most notably the epidemic of fatherlessness, which, Frank, in my opinion, is the biggest social problem facing America. Seventy percent of black kids enter the world today without a father in the home, married to the mother, up from 25 percent back in 1965. In fact, 25 percent of white kids now enter the world without a father in the home, married to the mother. And the stats are clear. If you're raised without a father, you're five times more likely to be poor and commit crime. Nine times we're likely to drop out of school and 20 times we're likely to end up in jail. And the reason this has happened is because in the mid-60s, a Democrat named Lyndon Johnson launched a so-called war on poverty. And since then, we've incentivized women to marry the government and incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And nobody but nobody was talking about it until I started talking about it. By the way, according to the Centers for Disease Control, and I told this to Trump uh, about uh, 10 days ago when he and I were in Mar-a-Lago together, uh, According to the Center for Disease Control, a black male aged 10 to 43 is, I'm not making this up, Frank, 13 times more likely to be murdered than a white male same demo. And almost always a murderer is another black male in that same Mm. demo. I told that to Trump, he almost fell off his chair. He said, what's your source for it? I said, Center for Disease Control. And nobody but nobody's talking about this. It is really alarming, and uh, that's one of the reasons I think a lot of folks were glad that you were running to give voice to concerns like that, even if they weren't necessarily prepared to uh, support you. One of the things that I have seen, Larry, is people that are controversial, which you've been from time to time, which Donald Trump certainly is. I'm a, an admirer of, uh, of Pat Buchanan, and I've talked about him on the air, and people will call in and they will dust off some quote from 30 years ago or 35 years ago, and they'll in, in 60 years of commentary, they'll find the three or four worst things that he ever said and say, here, go ahead, defend that. 
So I try never to be that guy and never uh, ever do that to anybody because I think it's unfair. And I don't expect you just because you're endorsing Donald Trump to have to answer for the things that Donald Trump says. But I do have to ask you about this just because it was said recently. Uh, I'm sure you've heard about this on Veterans Day. President Trump uh, was uh, giving this speech and a lot of people said they thought his remarks should have been focused primarily on veterans. Instead, he called out his enemies and called them vermin. If people didn't hear it, this is what he said. We pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, that lie and steal and cheat on elections and will do anything possible. They'll do anything whether legally or illegally, to destroy America and to destroy the American dream. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. Larry, was that an inappropriate commentary to give on Veterans Day in your view? No, it wasn't. I agree with everything that he said. Joe Biden can refer to MAGA Republicans as semi-fascists. That's not a problem. Hillary can say that negotiating with the Russians was similar to to negotiating with communists and the Iranians. That's not a problem. Donald Trump uses the word vermin to describe what he considers to be election interference, and there was election interference, uh, and he's denounced. It's a, another, another double standard. Democrats play the Nazi card all the time. Nobody says a damn thing. 1964, I'm a lot older than you, Frank, uh, Barry Goldwater gets nominated as a Republican nominee for president. The then governor of California, Democrats, said, and I'm quoting, the stench of fascism is in the air, end of quote. Ronald Reagan runs, and a congressperson Democrat says, Ronald Reagan gets his fascist precepts from the pages of Mein Kampf. Uh, George Soros writes a book and compares uh, George W. Bush to Joseph, Joseph Goebbels, the uh, Hitler propaganda minister. Nobody says a word. Donald Trump uses the word vermin. Oh, my God! <laughs> he's, he's just outrageous beyond the pale. It's re. Ridiculous. By the way, remember the picture of Barack Obama uh, with a smiling Louis Farrakhan, the nation's leading anti-Semite, the man who once referred to Hitler as a great man and Judaism as either a gutter religion or a dirty religion? Um, Barack Obama, then senator, is taking a picture with him at some sort of gathering by the Congressional Black Caucus. The picture did not emerge until years after Obama left uh, left the White House, but that picture came out, and Alan Dershowitz said, had he known about that picture, he never would have voted for, for, uh, for Barack Obama. Nobody says a word. Can you imagine if Donald Trump had taken a picture with a smiling David Duke? If he shoved down his throat every single day, and should be. Yeah, no, I I get it, Larry. Uh, Larry, you're probably one of the most influential, one of the most prominent black conservatives in America. And by the way, if people are interested in hearing more from Larry Larry Elder and some of his solutions for the country, they should check out his book, As Goes California, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. It's almost, it's part memoir and part handbook for reforming America. Let me ask you about this story that came out in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Headline, Biden is losing black voters. Here's why it matters. And this Wall Street Journal article chronicles some very real concerns among Democratic consultants and Democratic leaders that concerns about the economy are driving away minorities who've long supported Democrats. And apparently the Democrats were already concerned that black voters might just stay home because of a lack of enthusiasm for Biden. 
they're quoting different Democratic strategists in this article, Larry, that say they're actually concerned that they'll do worse than stay home, that they'll actually vote for Donald Trump. In your view, Larry, from what you're seeing, do you think that the black community could actually be Donald Trump's secret weapon in 2024? I do think so. Uh, And it's about time. Donald Trump got 8% of the black vote, Frank, in 2016. Uh, when he argued, what do you have to lose? Talking about schools and crime and the economy. Fast forward four years later, 2020, he gets 12%. That's a 50% increase. And 20% of black males voted for Donald Trump in 2020. The people that are most hurt by inflation are those at the bottom of our economic ladder. Many of those are black people. Uh, And the schools are absolutely rotten. Inner city, Baltimore, 13 public high schools, all located in the inner city. Zero percent of the kids can do math at grade level. Chicago, there are 53 government schools, Frank. Zero percent of the kids can do math at grade level. Nationwide, 85 percent of black eighth graders can neither read nor do math at grade level. Half can't do basic reading. Meanwhile, the Democratic Party opposes school choice, where where it's been tried without the rules and regulations. Uh, it's been it's been benefiting uh, black and black kids. And the party elites, however, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, uh, uh, Gavin Newsom have their own kids in private schools while denying kids in the inner city the same opportunity. It is outrageous. And then we've got crime. You have these soft on crime DAs. You have these the, the defund the police movement. Eighty one percent of blacks, according to a Gallup poll, want the police manpower to remain the same or to be increased. The people that are most hurt by leaving thugs on the street are the very black and brown people that people on the left purport to care about. So black voters are beginning to wake up and realize all this stuff and put all this stuff together. And now all of a sudden, Trump doesn't look so bad. One of the things that uh, is interesting about looking, well, first, let me ask you about one of the criticisms that Donald Trump got, even though he's not on the ballot this year. And that has to do with the Republican failures. A lot of people were expecting the Republicans to do much better than they did in states like Virginia, in states like New Jersey, in states like Kentucky. And some Trump critics are pointing at him as the reason that the Republicans underperformed in those states. Do you think it's unfair to blame Donald Trump for GOP underperformance this year, last year, or in any other year since 2016? I do think it's unfair. The reason for our so-called underperformance primarily recently had to do with the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Republicans still haven't figured out how to deal Mm. with this issue. Even Republican women uh, who are pro-life don't like the idea of the law stopping other people from having a different point of view. And we have not effectively talked about the extremism on their side. For example, when I ran for governor, as I explained in my book, As Goes California, people asked me about my position on abortion. And of course, I'm pro-life. Uh, and they call that extremist. And then I said to every reporter, please go to my opponent, Gavin Newsom, and ask him, at what point does he feel a pregnancy has gone so far uh, that to terminate it would constitute homicide? And nobody asked him. Uh, Kamala Harris was on CBS a few weeks ago. She was asked that same question in three or four different ways, and she wouldn't answer it. Ultimately, uh, whenever you get a lefty to answer the question, they say, well, it's up to a woman and her doctor. If that is true, then we ought to release that doctor who's behind bars in Philadelphia named Kermit Gosnell. Remember, he performed late-term abortions with the permission of, of women. He's behind jail. So do you consider him to be a political prisoner? Should he be allowed to uh, be released from, from, from jail? 
They won't answer that question. They're the extremists. Most people do not support late-term abortions. But if you ever get a Democrat to actually answer the question, uh, as, as I think uh, Bernie Sanders did during one debate, he said it's up to a woman. Really? Up to a minute before birth? Five minutes? Really? They're the extremists. And I just don't think we have uh, articulated that strongly enough so that people do not feel that we are anti-women, which is the way, uh, the way uh, Gavin Newsom puts anybody who's pro-life uh, and opposes abortion. They are, quote, anti-women, even though some polls show a greater percentage of women are pro-life than men. Let me uh, ask you a little bit about California. Some people may bristle at the comparison that California is in any way representative of the country. But it's interesting when you look at the demographic data, if you look at where the country is right now, it's almost exactly where California was back in 1994 when they not only elected Pete Wilson as governor, but pa- uh, but uh, passed an anti-illegal immigration referendum, Proposition 187. Even in California, there have been flashes of conservative activism. We saw that in the recall of those uh, left-wing school board members. We saw that in the recall of the San Francisco DA. One, do you think Republicans have any hope in California? And two, are, are we looking at California and seeing America's future? Well, again, as I put out in my, in my book, there are some sprouts of hope. The recall election was a sprout of hope. He pointed out the recall of these left-wing school board members, a sprout uh, of hope. The fact that Gavin Newsom's poll numbers are the worst he's ever had uh, in his uh, uh, nearly eight years as governor of California. And the number one reason people are citing now for being dissatisfied with him uh, is crime uh, and homelessness. It's just too bad it was two years too late. So there are some things that are going on in California. And 700,000 people have left California, Frank, in the last two, two and a half years. The number one reason they cite is they cannot afford the price of a home. The average price of a home in California, 175% above the national average because people like Gavin Newsom uh, and the one-party state uh, Democrats that dominate two-thirds in the state assembly, two-thirds in the state senate, are in bed with the environmentalists that have passed a law called CEQA, California Environmental Quality Act, that allows virtually anybody to stop any kind of construction project for almost any reason. As a result, we are millions of housing units below where we should be. In terms of houses uh, per capita, we are 49 out of 50 states. Again, this is the kind of stuff that people in California are beginning to realize, which is why Gavin Newsom is now facing his worst poll numbers of his career as governor. Larry, we're going to have to end it there. I always love talking to you, and I hope we can do this again soon. You know where to find me, bro. I <laughs> do you. indeed. Uh, check out God Larry's bless. book, As Goes California, My Mission to Rescue the Golden State and Save the Nation. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're certainly welcome to do so. Uh, my number is 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Tainted Love by Soft Cell. Another Rachel Yellen birthday bumper music selection. Going to take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Four open lines. You are listening to a man, I'm very proud to say, that has gotten his annual flu shot. You know, I used to be kind of anti-flu shot, but I, I, I became a convert to it maybe about four years ago. And uh, I've been getting them every year for the last four or five years. And I'm glad I did. I mean, who knows if I would get the flu absent the flu shot. But they say, and, you know, the medical experts that I trust, they recommend the flu shot. And uh, there's always these people that say that they get flu-like symptoms after getting the flu shot. I've never felt that. You feel a little soreness at the uh, injection point. But uh, other than that, I don't even notice it. But uh, I I went... My wife went, we brought Carmine. He has already gotten his flu shot previously when he went to his pediatrician. And, you know, they keep you waiting a little while when you're at the pharmacy. Thankfully, if you have insurance anyway, it was free. But they keep you waiting. And what do I do? Well, I'm waiting. I am chasing Carmine around the pharmacy. And he was really taking to playing with canes. You know, these canes they have for people? He was playing with them. I said, Carmine, put that down, put that down. How many times can you say five, six, seven times? Then he keeps grabbing, grabbing, grabbing. All right. You want to walk around the store with the cane? We'll walk around the store with the cane. Then um, we had told him that if he was well-behaved, he would get some candy. So we let him pick out a piece of candy. And he was trying to pick out a big 24-pack of candy, which was not what we offered him. I said, no, 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 no. You could pick out one piece of candy in the front by the register. So we picked out. You know what he picked out? And I don't even know that he's ever had this before. In fact, I'm certain that he hasn't. An Almond Joy, a very polarizing candy with coconut and obviously almond. And he liked it. He liked it. He is a fan of Almond Joy. He ate almost the um, almost the whole thing. I mean, it was tiny. But uh, that was our experience today. You are listening to a man with a flu shot. So if I get the flu now, that's just proof that it doesn't work, right? All right. We'll take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.